this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. Thank you for joining me on What If We've Been Wrong? And today we are shining lots of light in dark places and I am so glad you could join me. You know, my question to you or my questions are, what's happened to America? Why does it seem like America is upside down? What's happened to the virtues? You know, the virtues, we hardly even hear that word anymore. Why do we call good evil and evil good? Why do we have things like abortion running rampant in this country? You know, over 60 million children who have been slaughtered by abortion. Why does it seem like in Washington, D.C., lying is normal? Why is it that 97% of pastors or thereabout avoid preaching about the tough moral issues of today? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So, and then the question is, well, what are the solutions? What do we need to do? And then one other question is, has America always been like this? Have pastors always been mum about the, the important issues of the day? Well, my guest today, Reverend William Cook, is going to give to you the proof that this is not how America always was. We did not call evil good and good evil, and that includes slavery, by the way. And that's why we're able to get rid of slavery in record time as far as a country goes. And Reverend Cook is going to give us some of the back history of this. Uh, Reverend Cook, he is the founder and the CEO of America's Black Robe Regiment of Virginia, but he's all over America. He used to be the assistant campus minister at Regent University, and a lot of his work was inspired, by the way, by David Barton uh, from down in Texas with Wall Builders, and, and uh, Reverend Cook is going to be explaining that. But interestingly, he also has a very thorough understanding of the Islamic threat to America. And what I've been telling Americans is the Islamic threat is the curse. God tells us, actually it's in the book of Deuteronomy, that if a nation is obedient to the word of God, God will rain down his blessings on that nation, which is exactly what God did for about 400 years to America. This is why America made more advances in 400 years than the world had made in four to 5,000 years. You know, we were able to put man on the moon in record amount of time. Well, those are all part of the blessings because we had been a very obedient nation to the word of God. And then a few things happen and we've turned our back. Well, Reverend Cook will be explaining today uh, is the, the Islamic threat and why that is one of the cursings. So we have a chance to get our nation uh, back in line return to the word of God. So Reverend Cook, thank you for being on What If We've Been Wrong. Thank you so much. Terry, it's an honor to be on with you today. And uh, I appreciate the things you shared. Uh, I am I am not a, I'm sort of a, you almost say I'm, 
I'm 250 years late to the Black Robe Regiment in terms of getting involved with that. And um, really, it was David Barton that inspired me. I went to a Capitol briefing or a briefing at the U.S. Capitol where David began to rehearse some of the history of the pulpit of the American Revolution. And I was so inspired by it. And it, it occurred, I heard that story from him at a time when I was becoming very concerned about the nation. We had a new president, Barack Obama, who seemed to be taking us into tyranny. And I was very concerned for my children's future. My wife and I have five children. We have nine grandchildren now. And uh, we, I was just very concerned. And I, and normally when you become concerned about something, you ask what is, try to figure out what the solutions are. Well, I heard about the Black Robe Regiment. Something in me clicked, and I thought, I thought that is what we need now. We need pastors who will stand up and fight for this country. In a manner of speaking, we're not advocating, you know, pick up weapons and go out and start shooting people. But um, we're saying this: this this country is worth fighting for. Right. America is worth fighting for. Uh, what is the Black Robe Regiment? I think we're making perhaps the assumption that people know what you mean by that. What do you mean by the Black Robe Regiment? Well, the Black Robe Regiment is a reference, is really a derisive British reference to the robes that the clergy during the American Revolution wore. And the reason they were called the Black Regiment, uh, sort of uh, sarcastically, was because they were really, they, the British thought they were responsible for the war, and, the, and rightly so, because the clergy had effectively over the years been preaching the political ideology in the founding charters uh, for 25 years before the war began, you could say that the clergy even educated the people we know as the founding fathers. And so all of that, all of that preaching, all of that biblical worldview that they taught, uh, it really, it ended up uh, inspiring the American War for Independence, what the British called the rebellion. And so they wore black robes, the preachers wore black robes, and so they were, it was just a reference to their robes. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, back then, were pastors avoiding uh, preaching on the tough issues of the day back then? Were their sermons just very narrow and feel good and tickle my ears kind of sermons? Can, can you kind of shed some light on that? Well, Terry, if, if the pastors, if some of those pastors back then, let's say Jonas Clark, who was involved in Lexington, Let's say he came to he came to America. Now he'd say, "What did he ask the question? What have you done to my country?" That's what he he would be so shocked at what he would see today, and then he would probably go into the churches and say, "Aren't what, what are you guys preaching the same thing we preached during the American founding?" And he would find that there it's nowhere to be heard. There's none of the principles that are being taught by the clergy today. Most most clergy are trying to avoid conflict, avoid avoid confrontation. They don't want to say anything that might spook their congregations or cause people to leave. And the founding, the clergy of the founding era, they, it, they even came to be known as the pulpit of the American Revolution. And they would have, he would be aghast at what happens today, at the things that are happening with the church. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the pastor. Um, I know David Barton wrote the, the little booklet about it. Um, and I forget the pastor's name, but the one who, you know, ripped his or took his black robe off and then underneath he had his military, you know, colonial uh, uniform on. Uh, enlighten us about him. What was his name? That, that, was, that was Peter Muhlenberg. He was right here in Virginia, up in Woodstock. He was pastoring Lutheran, uh, German-speaking Lutheran churches mm -hmm. and also English-speaking Church of England Church, the official uh, Church of America sign. And... Um, 
he was also a member of the Virginia House of Burgesses. So that right there blows the whole idea of separation of church and state out of the water. And uh, it was it was after Lexington, and the colonies were in an uproar over what had happened. There was great indignation among the clergy and, and the non-clergy, too, about what the British had done at Lexington. They felt it was an injustice and it was murder. And so he, he was in Richmond when Patrick Henry gave his liberty or death impassioned plea. And while he was there, George Washington asked him to take a commission in the Continental Army as a colonel. Well, Henry had already taken a, uh, a commission as a colonel. And so Muhlenberg accepted, he came back to Woodstock, took him about six days to return to, to his church. The word spread that he would be giving his farewell sermon that coming Sunday, and he went into the pulpit, he preached out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, which we all know as there's a time for everything, to everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which planted, and so on. And when he came to the end of that section of scripture on verse 8, he said in a voice that thundered. He had to say it really loud because people were standing outside the church in the, in the cemetery to hear him because the colonies were electric at that time. And he said, in the language of Holy Writ, there is a time for all things, a time to preach and a time to fight. That time has now come. Now, calling you know people to fight was, was one thing. That was, that was radical enough. But he then, he said the benediction, took off his robe, in the pulpit, and he was in full uniform as a colonel in the Continental Army, had his sword with him in the pulpit, and he came down, he ordered drums to begin beating for recruits at the rear of the church. How would you like to go to church on Sunday and have your pastor say it's time to fight and start having uh, a military drummer at the uh, back of the church? That wouldn't go over today, but I'll tell you, the people loved it, and he ended up recruiting 300 men uh, pretty quickly to form the beginnings of the 8th Virginia Regiment, the German Regiment, and he went marching off to war with them. Right. And that was just one of, that's that was one of many, many stories of the role that clergy played in the American Revolution. They were at the forefront of it before, after, before, during, and after. Right. And, well, well, I, well I believe this, you know, of course I couldn't prove it right now, but that takes, of course, leadership on his part, Reverend Cook, I still believe the men are out there. You know, these young men, like the 300 men that, that probably stepped up to the plate to join his small, you know, uh, little army there, the men are still out there. But what we're lacking is leadership. And so if they never hear it from the pulpit, and of course so many people don't even go to church anymore, but, but if the pastors would begin preaching, I mean, I just want to shake so many of the pastors and say, would you stop fearing? Quit fearing that, oh my gosh, if you start preaching about the tough issues or if you, if you stop being politically correct, oh my gosh, your church is going to divide in half and you might lose, you know, 30% of your tithing or whatever. It's that man is so full of fear. The pastors are so full of fear. And part of this has to do with that whole tax-exempt status. Even though there's not one church in America, and you know it, they have never lost their tax-exempt status. Do you date, uh, can you date back the, the, um, where pastors have grown to be so silent due to that whole tax-exempt status? Is that a reason? And then they're full of fear? I, I think it's a major reason, Terry. Pastors are afraid of having the IRS come down on them. And look, we know nobody's ever been prosecuted for that. We know um, that 
that there's political sermons are preached and sent into the IRS. There's never been any, been any action against them. And yet, here's what I would say about that. Let, this, you know, we've seen in this government recently even that we know these people will do any, the left will do anything to uh, silence righteous preaching. And this whole move towards sodomy and uh, transgenderism, all of that is, is designed to silence the church. That's right. And um, so it doesn't matter. I mean, God says, preach the whole counsel of God. That's what his word says. Preach everything, every jot and tittle of it. Right. And um, pastors are holding back from that because they think they have a legal obligation to not preach political sermons. In fact, they have a moral obligation to preach sermons mm-hmm. on the, on the politi- political issues of the day. And um, they won't do that. So you think God is going to give a pass when men, when men stand before him and, and America has fallen into the abyss and it's directly attributable to a lack of preaching? I don't think he's, they're going to get a pass on that. It's, it's a very serious thing. The church is really presiding over the destruction of the country right now. Right, absolutely. The body of Christ need to be able to sp- need to speak up. Well, you know, God gives us that spirit of courage, not a spirit of timidity, and we need to stand up for righteousness, and that's righteousness in all different areas. And so, so what's been your experience as you go around and you educate pastors in, in various different states and locations? Are you seeing more and more pastors wanting to become bolder? What, what, what's been your experience, Bill? I think in every true man of God, there's a desire to be bold and to be fearless and uh, to be really to be a man, and which is which is what men are called to. We're called to be bold and courageous. And, you know, God, God even says, be bold and very courageous. We need to be that today. We see our country being destroyed. We are not we, we're not trying to avoid conflict. We need to run to the battle right now. We're in a battle for this country. And, uh, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence even says, the reason that they they declared independence from Great Britain was to secure the blessings of liberty, not just to themselves, but also to their posterity. We have to fight not just for ourselves, but for our children and grandchildren. We have a duty to leave them uh, blessed the blessings of liberty. Well, I think that's and more people need to make that connection. I mean, there is so too many people are just thinking, hey, you know, we live in a free country. I can do whatever I want. You know, it's a free country. And that's not what. That's not what the founders meant when they spoke of freedom. Can you elaborate on this and what this means in terms they of were, self-control? They were, yes, they were, they were speaking of freedom. They were speaking of liberty. That's what they really talked about was liberty, biblical liberty, the liberty with which Christ has set us free to do the things that we had, we had uh, a natural right to do. The founding fathers and the clergy of that era preached natural rights, the rights that are given to us by God, the things that are so obvious in the created order that we don't they don't even come into question well today they're coming into question you know and and pastors have got to be at the forefront of calling this to stop for instance our children are being taught in sex education classes in public schools that they can just become whatever gender they want to become and uh you know it, that needs to be called out because that's just not true it mean everything in nature defies that if if our enemies can get us to believe that you can change your gender, then they can pretty much get us to believe anything. Bingo. And we're we're done for. We are done for. That's it. And so I see it's it. time. Amen. Yeah, I mean that's spot on. I didn't mean to step on your words there, but I just say bingo. That's it. 
And we're going to be coming right back. Um, I want everybody to make sure you have the America Out Loud talk radio app on your phone. You want to be able to stay tuned in 24-7 to America Out Loud. We will be right back. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Thanks for joining me again. I'm with Reverend William Cook, and we're talking about before the Black Robe Regiment, but we're going to pivot now over to what, what, well, what the word says. It's the cursings, the cursings of disobedience. You know, God tells us you know, what the blessings are going to be, and America experienced those blessings for, good Lord, you know, 400 years. I mean, look where, where, what America has accomplished in 400 years and it's because our laws honored the lord we were obedient righteousness exalts a nation and america was exalted uh to, to i mean just at um i mean just think about the blessings that have rained down in this country but like we said We've been flipped upside down, and so we're exploring the why, and we and Bill, uh, Reverend Cook went over that quite well, but now we're looking at the cursings, and one of those is, God tells us, he will send the enemy in. Reverend Cook, who's the enemy, and how do we know the enemy is here? And then, of course, I want to talk about, and then what do we need to do about it, but let's, let's identify what is the threat. Well, the threat is, is is first and foremost that that serpent that appeared first in the Garden of Eden and just lied and deceived Eve. And so, from that day forward, every time you 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 encounter someone who is a tyrant or a despot, they're always lying. And so, the the easiest way to tell whether the person that wants to govern you is is a tyrant is that he lies to you to get you to to win your favor. And so we have politicians today who run around lying. That's a curse itself. The fact that we would tolerate so many liars in our government that um, that are trying to destroy our country, they're effectively destroying the country. The reason we, we've asked for liars, we want, we want leaders that will tell us what tickles our ears, what makes us feel good about ourselves, and gives, even if it's a lie, at least we'll feel good about it while, while we're, until we're ultimately destroyed. But that is what is happening. We're tolerating that in our leaders. And it is not, it's intolerable. We need to, we need to have a standard as the American people that says, if you lie to me, I won't vote for you. You're not going to get my support. And they are lying to us every single day. It's, and so it, that's part of the curse. The other curse, of course, coming is the Islamic threat. We know that that's here. And now we're finding out that there are probably a hundred members of our Congress in the Democratic Caucus who are Marxists, and um, most of them could, a lot of them couldn't even pass a, a basic background security check. Go figure. Right. And uh, these are the people that are running our country. They're trying to run our country. Well, and I would venture to say there are probably far more than any hundred who are Marxists. 
I mean, quite frankly, I think the majority of the Democrat Party, now this doesn't mean that they realize that they are have fallen for a Marxist worldview, but ever but what they vote on is it would would advance Marxism. So so a lot of people are just so fully duped. And the 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 crazy thing too is when when you know should Marxism ever fully take control of America, the very people who advance Marxism on onto this country, they'll get killed off. They don't mean anything to the people in power. They were just minions. They were just uh, uh, pawns in a great big scheme. So that, to me, is almost like the irony of this. So when we talk about the Islamic threat, can you know you worked at the Department of Homeland Security for ten years. So so you're quite well versed in this, uh, Reverend Cook. Uh, flush out to us, where have a lot of these people been placed? How are they advancing their worldview in addition to winning uh, elected seats in Congress and then on the state level? But how are they advancing their worldview? Well, again, it's back to deceit. But, um, Terry, I, it, it really, DHS didn't add anything to my understanding of Islam. I gained that from experts outside of DHS. But I was amazed while I was at DHS that five members of the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood were appointed to the Department of Homeland Security's euphemistically named uh, Commission on Countering Violent Extremism. They didn't want the word terrorism used. And we had people that are actually in our country to destroy it, sitting on the Homeland Security Advisory Council Countering Violent Extremism Working Group, which is a mouthful. And and I and I saw that, and I was working at T. I was doing some work at TSA as a contractor. And I thought, why am I here? We're not stopping anything. We're actually submitting to this enemy. <clears throat> and I, I learned a lot about it. I understood what was happening. I could see it as clearly as day, but for some reason our government couldn't see it. And I didn't want to be there anymore because I, trying to stop terrorist attacks is nothing. That's not the threat, you know? Right. That's right. And so that's like trying to, trying to uh, end gun violence by taking away guns. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. It's not going to stop violence. I mean, how many people know you can just pick up a hammer if you want to kill somebody? You don't need to have a gun. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what right. I'm thinking right now is, if you, I'm sure you've read books on this. The this is not a new threat. You know, the Islamic threat. This was going on back in colonial days. Can can you enlighten us on? Um, I mean, I even remember reading something about leathernecks. Leather, like why the Marines are called, isn't that right? They're called leathernecks because they used to put leather around their own necks. So when the Muslims would try to chop their necks off, heads off, the leather would protect them. Have you read read about that? Yeah, there's there's, there's something about the Islamic worldview under Sharia that, that just loves to cut people's heads off. I don't know why that is, but I guess it's a it's a sure way of killing someone. Right. And um, <laughs> what well, uh, what uh, John Quincy Adams said. During the uh, when the U.S. was getting involved in dealing with the Barbary pirates who were Muslims, um, what what Quincy said, he's the son of John Adams, grandson, I guess. I'm not sure which one he was. I should know that. But anyway, he said in the seventh century of the Christian era, a wandering Arab of the lineage of Hagar, the Egyptian, combining the powers of transcendent genius with the preternatural energy of a fanatic and the fraudulent spirit of an imposter proclaimed himself as a messenger from heaven and spread desolation and delusion over extension portion of the earth extensive portion of the earth 
And then he said the essence of his doctrine was, was violence and lust. And he, uh, connecting with the Mosaic law, his own, his own role, his own prophet status, he, he, um, he created a new God named Allah. And, um, you know, and because of that, he has spread that this this ideology has spread desolation and delusion over an extensive portion of the earth. I mean, if anybody goes to the Middle East, Arabic countries, you know, they they're a mess. I don't think any American would want to live over there permanently. And, you know, we're just we're just abetting it in our own country. We don't realize that we'll become a wasteland under Islam. We we're we're ignorant. Absolutely. That's what it will do. It will, like, the you, country. You hear about, you know, like Dearborn, Michigan, and how that's, you know, the small, basically, Islamic state now near about. Even police won't enter into some of those neighborhoods. And, and this, is, it's, this is a battle cry for the, for the Christian pastors across the country. I mean, who are just remaining mum and, and, and afraid. I mean, they'll lose their lives, won't they, Reverend Cook, under an Islamic yeah. worldview, under Sharia law. It's either going to be, yeah. we fine you to death, or we kill you, but one way or the other, you know, you will become ours. Um, so, uh, I mean, what right. say you? Hmm? Well, I say that's exactly what's happening. You know, we sing in the in evangelical circles, we, we've been singing for years the song out of Joel 2.9, Speaking of the northern kingdoms, the Chaldeans that were that the prophet was saying are going to come and invade Israel, we sing they rush on the city, they run on the walls. Great is the army that carries out its word, and we're thinking that that's referring to us when we sing that. Well, that's not we're not referring to ourselves when we sing that. God is saying in Joel chapter two, because you've turned away from me, you've walked away from me. Right. I'm going to send your enemies to destroy you. You know, America is a very powerful country in terms of military. And we think, well, we're, we're just indefeatable. We take on anything in this country with our great military power. And I'm telling you that the enemy is here, and he's, to, and he's gaining a foothold, a strong foothold. And now, now Muslims are actually putting forward candidates for office. They're running in the hundreds all over the country. Right. So they want to gain political power. That's right. And that is happening... We don't even see it as American. Yeah, we're just, you know, well, that, you know, the bumper sticker about coexistence, coexistence. There is no such thing as coexistence uh, if, if the... Well, if, that's part of the, that's part of the Muslim, of the Islamic um, strategy. It's, 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 a, it's a deception. And in Islam, in, under Sharia, there's a, there's a concept known as al-Takiyah. And that is basically permissible lying. It's okay to lie to infidels uh, in the end because the end goal is to bring them into submission to Allah. And if, the, if people think terrorism is, exists, they hate infidels and they just want to kill them all. Well, that's true. But the purpose of terrorism is to strike fear in the hearts of the infidels, to, do, to strike fear in the hearts of those who survive terrorism who don't die by terrorism, and it's worked wonderfully in America, because people are afraid to say anything negative about Islam, our government won't say anything negative about it, and God is, God is sending our enemies to us. We're going to be surprised one day to find out that we're either Marxist, or we're a Muslim country, and we're going to go, how did this happen? You know, right. We're asking, how did this happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. 
It's happening now. And it's happening because pastors aren't speaking out. They're not calling their people to repentance. They're not They're not saying, you've got to stand up and take, take uh, charge of this culture. Look, if there's two kinds of people in the world, Terry. There are the children of light. That would be us who are Christians who have been born again. And it would be the children of disobedience. Well, who does God say the children of disobedience are controlled by? What does their behavior drive from? The prince of the power of the air. That is who controls the behavior of everyone who does not know Jesus. And that means that we are the only ones that can save America. The church is the only one. That's it's right. the only entity that can save America. And it has, we have to assert ourselves, well, not just for ourselves, also for everybody, for the next generation. Absolutely. And it's, well, Ronald Reagan, I'm, I'm forgetting his direct quote, but it's about if we don't do it, then we enter that, what is it, the millennium of darkness, thousand years of darkness or some such thing. Um, and no, that now is the time. I just look at it as we have one more chance. What, like, well, politically speaking, what I say is life leads. We, we, you know, I believe the Lord gave us President Trump. You know, he was running against, as far as I'm concerned, Jezebel. And, and, and it's almost like a reprieve, but, but for the church, for the body of Christ to awaken, get engaged. And, and what my experience has been is that life leads. Life is the one issue that if you can share the truth, then you can unite people in life and the other things begin to fall in place because it's it's a starting point if we you know nick our finger we all run with red blood there's not black blood or white blood we run with the same color blood and um and so my experience has been the life issue the abortion slash life issue is actually not something that necessarily divides i think it's actually something that unites us and what do I mean by that? When, when, when minorities, let's just start there, when, when particularly black Americans find out that they've been lied to up one side and down the other about, you know, this abortion is about re women's reproductive rights. No, it's not. This was the plan long ago of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger and all this. They wanted the black race minimized or eradicated. And that's why they pushed sterilization and contraception into the minority communities back in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Then when that birth control pill came out, they tried to push that into the minority communities. But it's quite interesting. Um, black Americans didn't want to take it because I think back then, I mean, based on the, the research, it's, they knew something was up. And it was actually the white middle-class America, the very, and the upper class who started taking it. And so the reason I bring this up is my experience has been when you go out and lovingly share this information and more with people, they're like, you're, you know, first they're a little bit shocked, but then when you can provide them with the tools to continue learning about all this, we unite on life. And then another example is Catholics. Most Catholics do not know that the abortion industry back in the late 1960s under the guise of NARAL, NARAL Pro-Choice America, um, this is even before Planned Parenthood had stepped out publicly for a pro-abortion position. It was NARAL um, that devised a very stealthy propaganda campaign to deceive enough Catholic voters to support pro-abortion candidates even though for 1900 years the catholic church had always and as it still is is absolutely 100 percent against abortion so the reason i bring this up is 
is uh, the, the the I I think at least based on my experience the life issue the very thing that's so near and dear to the God we serve is so important to Him and because without life we have nothing right. So life leads. So if enough people can learn how we've been duped and lied to about abortion, that one issue can earn the trust and the ear. So if the body of Christ who gets it can go out and share this information, we can unite on life. So come November 2020, I believe what God's waiting for is for us to show him we want a pro-life America. Because if not, I mean, Reverend Cook, he's going to give us exactly what we've been asking for. He'll give us a culture of death. That's what we want. He'll give That's it to us. Correct. You know, Terry, after World War II, um, children, new babies were born in America at the rate of 4.24 million new babies to the population every year between 1946 and 1964. And, you know, God's commandment to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth because... He said, and have dominion over it. In the next breath, God says, and have dominion over all that I've made. You know, what nations that have the most babies win. I mean, that's just the way it goes. I mean, and so America had an incredibly prolific birth rate after the war. We valued children. Can you imagine a world, uh, a nation where, uh, an America where there's no abortion? It's not even a thought. It's, I mean, there was a time when that idea never came into anyone's heart. It wasn't even something people thought about doing. It was it was repugnant and it wouldn't have happened. But somehow through, you know, I, I, I really do believe that abortion is a is a Soviet is from a Soviet influence operation that it that has been foisted upon us that I think our enemies have wanted us to start killing our unborn so that they can begin. They can really defeat us. And that's that's the long term goal of all this is to defeat America. The enemy, of course, we know is is behind it, to destroy to destroy us completely. He hates America, and um, there's a reason he hates America. We're, we've been a prolific gospel missionary-sending country for decades, and it's transformed the world. You know, after the Battle of Lexington, if I could, could tell you a short story, real quick story. Well, actually, Bill, I want uh, you to hold on to that story. We will be right back, and I want all Americans who are listening to this upcoming story, don't go anywhere. We're going to be coming right back. He has an important story you want to know. Because this is a uh, um, th th this is connected to the survival of the United States of America. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called. The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. 
We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio. On our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. with Terry Beatley and Reverend William Cook, and you were just getting ready to tell us an important story. I'd like to dive right back into that. Sure. I'm happy to tell it. It's a very inspiring story. It's about the pastor of the church in Lexington. His name was Jonas Clark. Now, Jonas was a, he was a brilliant man. He wrote all the regional state government papers in that region, and he was very active in local local and state politics. And he was a true patriot. His home was a stopping place and a place of refreshment for some of the founding fathers. Uh, Sam Sam Adams and John Hancock were staying at his home the night that Paul Revere came into town. And they would often come to Clark's home when they couldn't find a safe place to stay in in, uh, Boston because the British were quartered there. So Revere rides into town and he he notifies, he, he goes first to the parsonage of Jonas Clark. And he, he tells, him and he tells the two founding fathers, John Hancock and Sam, Sam Adams, who are also patriots, that the British are coming. They're, they're coming to seize your weapon stores. And by the way, they're told, they've been told not to return without the headless bodies of John Hancock and Sam Adams. Well, you know, one of the two turned to, uh, turned to Jonas Clark, who's there and said, sir, will your people fight? And Clark said, I have prepared them for this very hour. Jonas Clark, I prepared the militia to fight. The next day, when the battle began to unfold, first of all, Clark went out at 2 a.m. to meet the, the militia on Lexington Green. They began to assemble around 1, 1 a.m. because they didn't know when the British were going to exactly show up in Lexington. And so they're, they're out there arming up and they're loading their muskets and preparing for, to defend their, their, their land and their, and their, and their community. And, Clark goes out at 2 a.m., prays and talks to him, encourages him. And then the next day, he watched the entire scene unfold from his parsonage, the door of his parsonage. And he, when it was all, all was said and done, he, um, when, when th- that skirmish was over, eight members of his flock were dead and ten were wounded. Now, that's attrition. Of, that's, a tr- that's a loss of members. I mean, that's a real loss of members. Yeah. And so... Uh, <laughs> 
Clark did Clark did not run into the pulpit the next Sunday and say, we've got to tone it down on this political speech. You know what he said? He understood the significance of what happened. He said, from this date shall resound the liberty of the world. And uh, and, and indeed it has happened that, that America, when America is free, the world is free. When America is strong, the world is free. And so mm. that's what he said. It's, and uh, Samuel Adams said, um, He's on the day of the battle. Oh, what a glorious morning this is. He knew that this conflict was going to result in a much bigger goal being achieved, liberty from British tyranny. And so these these are some of the most inspiring stories you will ever hear about America. Right. And that's not taught in our public schools. The idea that there was a clergyman right there. I mean, that was the lawn of his church, Lexington Green. We call it Lexington Green. It was right there at the lawn of his church that this battle unfolded. And, um, well, to me, Bill, the battle is now it's not so much, you know, the, the, the shooting and all of that. It's it's when I think of the transgender um, transvestites, whatever they're called, and they're going into the public uh, public libraries and they are indoctrinating little preschoolers into gender confusion. That's the battlefield of today. And, and to me, I've done a whole show on this before, and I think, where are the fathers, the men, the local men? That's, that's a battle right in their own communities. Where are the pastors? They should all be leading this, leading the fight against this at the local community libraries where their local tax money. Uh, and, 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 but yet, so many people just sit on the sidelines, and, and, and then it just, you know, we spire into the abyss. So, so in terms of, let's go back to the Black Robe Regiment. What, you know, we're, we need to talk about the solutions for today. What are you doing as the CEO of the Black Robe Regiment um, across the country? Um, walk us through. What are the pastors learning? How do you mobilize well, them? How do you encourage them? What are they learning? I'd be happy to tell you. That our, here's, here's what our goal is. Our goal is to establish a company of pastors or an, or an association, call it what you will, who basically take responsibility for their local community. And that would be, we're, we want to establish a clergy organization that's fighting for America in every, in every legislative district in the country. And these are, we want these guys to assert themselves in the body politic. You know, it's it, these, this thing with this transgenderism perversion, um, you know, we should we, we, there should be absolute outrage coming out of the church. Yeah. Again, it goes back to the, the Joel 2 passage. We think we don't think it's going to affect us. It doesn't affect me and my kids, so I'm not going to get involved. Well, guess what? You're swimming in this society, and if this society falls apart and, and gets destroyed, uh, then the church undergoes persecution, and you're going to be destroyed, and your churches. You think you've got a church today of 3,000 members? Guess what? It can all be gone tomorrow. And so... We shouldn't be concerned about keeping a big church going. We should be concerned about keeping the culture that has given us the church of 3,000 people. We, we're, we're losing that. And I, I, it, again, it's gonna, we're, we're calling pastors to battle. And um, we teach pastors, look, you've got to preach, preach an election sermon before every, before every election. Um, you've got to you've got to begin addressing a biblical worldview from your pulpits, which deals with every area of life, a biblical perspective on every area of life. And uh, we're we're standing up an army across America. We this last year, 
we we educated uh, 400 pastors in Virginia who came to one of our summits, and we told them these things. We talked about the history of the pulpit, and we also um, challenged them to make a commitment, and many of them did. You know, we, we're sort of like, we're the spiritual Marines in a way. We're just saying, we just want a few. If you don't want to be part of this, that's fine. Go home, you know, and close your doors, lock your windows, and be safe, and we'll take care of you. Because we're going to stand up and fight for America. We think America's worth fighting for. We don't want to see this country go down the tubes. And so we're, we're raising up an army. We're, we're doing it in Virginia. Yesterday I had a phone call with several pastors from different states who contacted me and said, hey, we want to do something in our state. So we began to talk about that, and and we're getting rolling on that. We're we're gonna we're Michigan, uh, New Hampshire, Tennessee, California. Those were all on the phone yesterday. We had right. a great call, inspiring. Mm-hmm. But and well, one I think things, one of the key things, though, is is are the pastor. It's more than just preach a fiery sermon from the pulpit, because if that if that message doesn't go beyond. The four walls of that church, that's what they're, I mean, I was going to say, well, that's what the enemy's been used to, but I mean, now we're only, now we're down to like only 3% of pastors who are even willing to preach that kind of fiery sermon. But we have to build up the grassroots mobilization to be able to bring um, the love and the light of Jesus Christ right into communities who never hear about the love of Christ, who never hear about um, the the truth behind a lot of these moral issues of today. My experience has been is that when you go into these communities and you love these people with the truth, you show them the voting records of the people down at the state legislature and how they've been voting against parental rights. They've been voting for the abortion industry. They've been voting against teaching abstinence to high schoolers. Oh, but they teach sodomy to high schoolers. Uh, when they find out that um, the, the school system is now set up and it can give birth control contraception shots, like shots in the arm to minor girls at the public school. See, the problem is you've got the four walls of the church and a, and a pastor who might be able to preach. You know, Maybe he's got the backbone to preach and preach what needs to happen, but he's got to train the flock. They've got to have a battle plan to go out in, onto, the, onto the ground and connect people and draw those people into the church for continued education. I think that's a key thing. And this is when we, and then we can begin multiplying, multiplying, because just like you said, you need the trained people in every legislative district. I think we need a trained person in every single voting precinct across America. And then we can actually begin yeah. to measure, measure how people's hearts and minds are changing and I speak this with such conviction because I tried it in Virginia we tried it and it proved worthy I had people I had minority people in in a certain district in Virginia weeping at their door when I shared with them look your senator who's been here for 28 years he's a 28 year incumbent he pretends that he's a whatever a moderate on issues and I showed where he had been voting he even voted against parents finding out or even being in a position to give permission for a minor to go get an abortion. He voted against that three times. He wanted minor girls to be able to go get a surgery behind their parents' backs. And so when I finally got out and I shared this, I had, I had people, Reverend Cook, who were joining my door-knocking team, people who said, 
Well, I remember one particular man met him. He had a do-rag on his head, scar running down his, his chest. And he said, I'm going to join your team. And I said, oh my gosh, why? And he said, because nobody ever brings us this kind of truth. And I'm like, thank you. And just that one man distributed close to 4,000 packets of information. And you know what happened? The senator ended up getting defeated. He had won by 5,000 to 6,000 votes for, for four terms. That's every, uh, sorry, seven terms every four years. And he, that, that's five to 6,000 vote lead suddenly evaporated. And that senator lost by 227 votes. And it is not because his oppositions, um, all they did was talk about jobs and economy, jobs and economy. God will make sure none of us have jobs and make sure we don't have an economy if we do not restore this nation, if pastors don't get back preaching the way they need to preach. And oh my, that was a monologue, but that is why I'm so passionate about this. The pastors have to return. So, so Reverend Cook, you have momentum. You're getting phone calls. You're multiplying the effort. Uh, where do you see, what, well, what's grabbing the attention of the pastors? First of all, Terry, I just want to say, after that monologue, that great monologue you just gave, I have to say, I'm going to make you an honorary member of the Black Robe Regiment. Um, you know, you're, you're, you've got more courage than I think most pastors today have, and you're willing to stand up and preach the truth. Uh, no matter where it leads or, or what it what effect it has on your on you, and so I think that's great. We need more people like you that are willing to speak the truth without without mincing words and make it clear. This you know we talk about the love of Christ, but we have to we we leave out the fear of God, and it's a the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, and if if God judges, I'll tell you this: if we lose this country. Everything that pastors fear that keeps them from speaking the truth will come upon us in spades. They will, pastors will wish for the day they could preach right. the things that they didn't. And, and if we lose this country, I don't think anybody has any idea what it's going to be like or how bad it will be. But it, it's, it's going to be particularly bad because the world hates us. And they want to punish us for being America. They want to punish us because of our success as a nation. They don't feel we deserve it. They're jealous. That's I mean, that's a lot of nations are just jealous of America. But really, it's it's the recipe. Any any country can be great, as Donald Trump says, great again. Any any country can become great if they'll simply give themselves to biblical morality, and and if if the clergy will take leadership and lead the flock of God in in righteousness. Right. We we need to restore righteousness in our government, and it, that's critical. You know, righteousness, ethics. You know, I, I finally have wrapped my head around this. You know, when you think about all these big companies like WorldCom, and I'm f actually I'm forgetting the names, but the ones that completely you know went bankrupt and they're gone because they were so riddled with uh, corruption. And the reality is, you know, the 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 um, the big schools, Princeton and all that, they used to be Bible based. Now they're not. So they're pumping out all these MBA uh, graduates that if they did not know the word of God before and, and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. So if they make it through grad school, they don't know Jesus and they've never been taught ethics because it's hard to understand ethics if it's not rooted in a biblical worldview. Then they go out and they work their ways, uh, ways up in these companies and they have no concept. So lying, 
corruption, greed, all 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 the things that are are that are our sinful nature. That's why all these companies went belly up. Like Bernie, what's his name? Bernie Prison right now. Bernie Madoff. Yeah. yeah so there. I mean, he. I mean, look at the thought. That's a perfect example. I mean, a man who was so full of corruption, must not have had any relationship with the Lord. It's so sad after he stole everybody's money. He's now in prison. One son commits suicide. And I can only imagine the sadness in the heart of the remaining son and his wife. So anyway, that's just, it's at the highest um you know, when you think about corporations and all that, it's everywhere. I want to I wanna cite one thing. It's, uh, it comes out of the book of Deuteronomy 28, where the Lord has already told us the blessings on a nation, but it sort of wraps up like this. It says, if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord of your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues to you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed. You you who were as numerous as the stars in the sky will be left but few in number because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it'll please him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from your land you are entering to possess. And it goes on and he, and he yep. will scatter us and he sends in the enemy. Um, we've got one minute. Reverend Cook, give us one parting thought right here. I would say, Terry, if, if somebody's listening to this call, particularly pastors, and you want to get involved and you want to do something about what's happening in this country, uh, get in touch with me. My email is REV, that's the abbreviation for Reverend, REV at blackroveregiment.us. And we'll get you plugged in and we'll help you. Uh, if you're in another state, we're in Virginia, but if you're in another state, we'll certainly help you. And we're, we're, we're reaching out now to other states, as I mentioned. We want the this is a glorious moment for the church. We can win this culture back if we will, but but you know, put ourselves out there and do it. I really believe this country can be saved. I don't buy the whole eschatological view that says America's done, the world is done, Jesus is coming, and we're going to get out of here. I guarantee you, the church is not getting out of here if it destroys this country by doing nothing. We're not going to get out of here without going through some hellacious suffering. We have got to fight for our country. And um, so it's it's time. It's time for pastors. Like Peter Muhlenberg said, this is a time to fight. And if you don't want to fight for America, stay out of our way because we're fighting for it. But All if you right. really want to be part of this, you want All to right. fight, call, call us. There we go. You heard it right from Reverend William Cook with the Black Robe Regiment. I am thankful that you joined me today. This is a very, very important topic. I want you to share it far and wide. Um, uh, you know, put on your put on your fighting boots. It is time to step up to the plate. Love people with the truth. Um, do th- do be bold. Be bold with the love of Christ. Be bold with the fear of the Lord and watch how God will bless you. All right, I'll see you next time on What If We've Been Wrong? We are shining light in dark places. Places.